Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Okay, let's start with a quote. We're gonna go we're gonna go into this talk at full sprint and I'm sure you'll keep up. So let's start with this quote. It says to forgive is not an invitation to forget, nor is it an invitation to claim an injury is less hurtful than it really is. Nor is it a request to paper over the fissure in a relationship to say it's okay when it's not. It's not okay to be injured, it's not okay to be abused, it's not okay to be violated, it's not okay to be betrayed. That's the Archbishop Desmond Tutu who um, made that quote. And he talks about two things that we're going to kind of look at one of those things today. He talks about how we forgive and the pathway to forgiveness. So if you go up to the, the next slide there, Tom, he talks about the fourfold path to forgiveness. But he also he talks about the revenge cycle or the forgiveness cycle. And so imagine that you have been wronged or hurt in some way. I'm sure we have all experienced it at some point in our life. That'd be the, the orange kind of circle there. There is uh, it's quite a small font, I apologize, but that is pain. Something happens uh, that goes wrong that is bad in life. And you have a choice in those moments, don't you? You have a choice either to begin the process of forgiveness or the choice to go into the cycle of uh, revenge. That is to actually begin to, to choose to harm. Instead of choosing to heal, we choose to harm. Uh, and then in that, uh, that takes you around that cycle, actually, of uh, then you begin to deny humanity. So what he means by that is you choose to harm, somebody has hurt you, and in your mind you turn that person into just somebody who hurts. They don't do anything else. They just are the people that hurt you. There is no light or shade to their character. There's nothing else that they do in life. They're just the perpetrator. And then in that, you decide, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay them back in some way. I'm going to have revenge on them. Now, you may not know that person anymore. They may, be, they may be dead or they may be out of your life entirely. And so that kind of happens in your own head. So you maybe pay them back just in your thought life or perhaps in the way that you choose to live your life and then there is some violence or cruelty that that next step and again that could be to the person if you know them addictive behavior back at them or it could be in your own head you just tear them down and it affects your life and what happens then causes more hurts more pain more loss you're back to the beginning of the revenge cycle and actually, you could see this play out in the relationships between various people groups or nations in the world at the moment where pain is caused and revenge must be taken. And revenge is seen as the only way to act uh, politically on the global stage. You see it sometimes in uh, relationships that have gone wrong. And the only way that they can navigate is where there is pain, I must attack. I can't, I don't know how to forgive. Where I've been hurt, I must hurt back. Now, actually... Uh, Desmond Tutu suggests there is a different way for us. Now, he is a man of high credibility. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him, but he was the Archbishop of Cape Town in South Africa during apartheid. Uh, and 
He was a man of great wisdom and great authority, even when he was on the receiving end of horrifying racism, even in himself, but his people group, he still chose to go a path of forgiveness. And once apartheid was ended, he set up a thing called the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, effectively to help the nation of South Africa find a way to choose healing, not harm. Find a way to deal with all of the things that happened. So he is a man with high credibility, let's put it that way, when we think about forgiveness. And we've been doing a, a, just a mini-series on forgiveness, and this is our last week, and we're going to think about now how we forgive. So we started off with thinking, actually, God is at the very centre. If we are going to be people that forgive, that receive forgiveness as well, we need to recognise that God has to be at the centre of our lives. We all worship something, whether you think you do or not, everybody is a worshipper, and the question we thought about that week is, is it the living God that you worship? Because that's where we begin. Then last week we looked at how we are forgiven, how Jesus takes our sin upon himself, and actually we are forgiven for our sins, for we are forgiven for our rebellion against God's, and also that Jesus is the means of forgiveness in the world. And today we're going to think about, well, how do we do that? How do we live a life of forgiveness? And we're going to recognise what the Archbishop uh, tells us. We're going to recognise as well that forgiveness is not forgetting, it's not minimising pain. It is a pathway to restoration and freedom. And how do we forgive? Well, we're going to look at his fourfold path, um, and we're going to see it in the teachings of Jesus, I think. Uh, the Archbishop got this from Jesus. And we're going to think about how do we forgive. And Jesus actually says some very provocative things about forgiving and how we forgive in particular. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 17. It will appear behind me as well if you haven't got Bibles uh, with you. <coughs> Luke 17 says this, so watch yourself. This is Jesus talking, so watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles, so that's his disciples, his followers who were, who were listening to him, uh, they said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, we've heard what you said, and that blows my mind. Please increase my faith, don't know how to do that. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So the fourfold path here actually is quite clear in this little bit of teaching from Jesus. So we're going to follow it through. And the, the first step on the path are to forgiveness to uh, choosing healing, not hurting others, actually is to tell the story. To tell the story of, of what has happened to us. And Jesus starts this little passage off by saying, so watch yourself, doesn't he? And it's a fascinating place to start. When you're thinking about forgiveness, the first thing that Jesus says is, look at yourself. Okay? Look at what's going on in you. Watch yourself. Actually, when we think about dealing with uh, hurts, when we think about perhaps rebuilding our lives, when we think about perhaps rebuilding relationships or finding forgiveness, actually self-awareness is the first place to start. 
to think, to watch yourself think, why do I feel the way that I do? Why do I behave the way that I do? How does my behaviour affect those around me? That's a big part of self-awareness. Actually, some people are, are very good at knowing what they feel, but not very good about knowing the impacts they have on those around them. Actually, that's a really important part of self-awareness. Understanding who we are, why we behave, actually is vital for growing in maturity and is vital for growing in the area of forgiveness. So, for example, I am an internal processor, which means I like to think things over. And sometimes I'll take time to mull on things. Now, good friends of mine would be external processors. That means they think about stuff by talking, sometimes at great length, about the same thing over and over again. Whereas me, I, I, I find that exhausting. I like to think about things in my head and take a bit of time. I like things to be able to sit in my mind, especially things that are, are quite difficult or, or the decisions to be made. And some, so if someone uh, confronts me or if something happens and I need to react, I actually have to take time to think. So often in our team meetings, uh, we're, we're knocking around an idea or an issue, and I have to say, look, I, I need to think about this. Can we come back to it next week? And I know that's how I work, so I, I'm okay doing that. Can we come back to it next week? The flip side of that is if I, if I don't understand the impact on those around me, that can be a little bit controlling. Like, if you want to talk about stuff, I'm going to shut you down until I have a chance to think about it. So, as Jesus says, I need to watch myself. I need to actually think, how, how am I behaving? How does it affect those around me? Now, if I'm holding on to something like unforgiveness, I need to see it for what it is. Because Jesus was saying, look, understand what is going on inside of you. Understand, actually, perhaps the thing that you need to forgive someone for. We're not called to minimise what's happened. And sometimes as Christians, we can get to the end of the forgiveness journey before we've done the beginning. We can say, we just need to forgive and just get over it and it's fine. And we need to do that bit straight away at the beginning, which actually isn't a very good way of doing things. It can minimise what has happened to someone. Even excuse the behaviour of others where we shouldn't be. But actually, there is a call here for honesty. Say, this is honestly what has happened and how I feel. A call to openness and actually to take something out of shadow and put it into light so that we can see it. Holding on to unforgiveness actually can cause immense hurt and pain and difficulty and can have a very long-term impact on us. In Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews uh, says, look, make every effort to live in peace uh, with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It effectively saying, look, have good relationships, have good friendships, live in peace with each other. But peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's, peace isn't just not having an argument. Actually, peace <laughs> is healthy life and healthy relationships. And then he goes on, the author, and says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God's and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile. Unforgiveness, when not dealt with, is a bitter root. It can kind of sit in you and fester. So if you are going to cut down a tree and you don't want it to grow back, you have to destroy the roots. So a few summers ago, I helped um, Vic's brother. He's a tree surgeon. And we were in Bedford and he was going to go cut down a tree. I'm like, 
tree. Uh, so it's like great fun. There are chainsaws and axes and pulling things over. It's brilliant. And uh, this tree was dying, so we didn't just pick a random healthy tree. No, we had to cut down the tree. Any of you here that like trees? And we got this thing down very quickly, actually. Surprisingly quickly, this thing came down because it was rotting. Um, but to get the root out of the ground, we had to use this massive piece of machinery called a stump grinder. It sounds like a brilliant heavy metal band, doesn't it? And it took ages to obliterate the root, to really destroy this root, using it uses really fast spinning lumps of metal to blast the wood away and destroy the root. But if it, the root doesn't die, it will actually regrow and take time, but shoots will begin to come up again. <coughs> actually, that is the same with unforgiveness. Bitterness can, uh, can cr- come back unless we deal with the roots. So forgiveness is an ongoing work. So we take our first step. You, you name the hurt. You tell the story. And secondly, sorry, you name the hurts. And Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And rebuke is, a, is quite, a, uh, quite an aggressive word, isn't it? It's quite a, a strong word to, to suggest, I will rebuke you. You feel like you're coming up to just shout at someone as a rebuke and then you'll leave. And I don't think that is what is intended. There is actually a, a sense of justice in this word, actually, to, to name what it has been or, or why something is hurtful, to, to kind of really articulate what it is, like clearly. And it's a difficult thing to do, actually. So Vicky, uh, who is my wife, over the years, on a number of occasions, more than is good, has come to me and said, Tim, you said this in this way, and it caused hurt for this reason. Now, to do that, she would have to be quite brave. Now, she's like me, actually, internal processes, so we don't really like doing those kind of confrontational conversations. We're not very good at them, so Vicky would, would have to be a bit of a thing for her to come and talk to me, and that she'd have to be brave, but also quite specific, and she couldn't come in with a general sort of, you're just basically annoying, and she would have to go in on a, a basic, uh, specific thing, and name the hurts, and be very clear. And in that, because of that, it can be quite easy to rationalise it away if you are the victim. Thing. So it's just this one thing. That I'll just ignore it. It doesn't really matter anymore. I'll just get over it myself. I'll just, you know, you say, I'll just forgive and forget and move on, and it's fine. Um, but actually, naming the hurts can be a key for a relationship, whether that is your husband or wife or whether it's your family when friendship groups and I think in friendship groups, this is harder to do, perhaps, than in any other relationship, because uh, friendship groups can be a bit more uh, transitory, can't they? But uh, actually, to, to really name that, say that this is what you said or what you did, this is why it hurt me, this is why it is difficult. Uh, Tutu says that a harm that's felt and denied always finds a way to express itself. It's important, actually, to, to name the hurts, to tell our stories. And as we tell our stories, as we name the hurt, there are just two things I want us to think about. We need to be good at talking. So an internal process here. I have to teach myself to be good at talking. But most importantly, we need to be good at listening. So I, I don't know if many of you know that there's a guy, in uh, one of the leaders in CCM, he's a good friend of mine called Andy Brown. And he has become a very good friend 
because he's brilliant at listening. And he has, it's a very simple skill that actually everybody should learn, and I try to copy him. Uh, and what he does, he asks me a question, very simple, asks me a question, then he listens to my answer, then he asks me a follow-up question based on what I've said. It is that simple. You think, well, of course it is, Tim. But think about the number of times somebody asks you, how's it going, what's going on? And you might say, oh, well, I've got this thing going on in life, it's quite difficult. And their reaction is to go, oh, I've got this thing in my life, which is probably a little bit more difficult than yours. They, try, they come in with a different story about their own situations, their own lives. Or if they, you tell them about something going on, they'll say, oh, yeah, the same thing happened to me. This is what I did. And actually, it's not really listening. So it isn't always that helpful. Now, sometimes it's nice to kind of just share your stories, and that's an okay thing to do. But actually, to genuinely listen, especially if somebody comes to you and says, you have hurt me in this way for these reasons, to listen, to ask questions, and to allow the story to be told. To listen properly, to reflect back, ask more questions is very powerful. And speaking this stuff, stuff out loud is, is really important, very important, I think. So as I said, I, I, as an internal processor, I tend to work these things over in my head, and that includes things that can be upsetting or, or hurtful or, or disappointing, and I realised that I would get stuck in the loop of these things. I would call it a bit of a, a Timmy Doom loop, never particularly good. And I've realised this over years, and now I try to speak things out as quickly as I can. So over the, over the New Year kind of Christmas break, uh, we got burgled, we were broken into, and they nicked a bunch of stuff, and it was uh, very frustrating. But it's just a very strange feeling the first few days afterwards, knowing that someone has walked around your house, looked at all of your stuff, and decided, I'll take those things, but I won't take those things. Uh, and just, they've just been able to look at everything about you, turn over your house, look at your photographs, whatever it might be, and take whatever they want. And for the first few days, I, I felt a bit sick. It was like, oh, it's a weird feeling. I felt sad as well. I felt a little bit vulnerable. But the, the strongest feeling, which I didn't expect, was I was embarrassed. It's a weird feeling, isn't it? I was embarrassed. I, I felt like somehow it was my fault what had happened. Somehow I was embarrassed by it. And uh, we had, uh, about two or three days later, the locksmith was round to fix our door because the burglar made a very good job of completely destroying our door. And so the locksmith was round, and he was a big, big guy, lots of tattoos, very northern, uh, kind of rough looking. Like if I'd have wanted to fight him, he wouldn't have noticed. He was one of those guys, very big and strong. And uh, I was feeling quite embarrassed, and uh, I was stood there talking, and actually I can't remember how the conversation got. But I said to him, God, this, I just, this is embarrassing. I feel embarrassed by it. And he looked at me like kind of a frown and like, oh, what are you talking about? And he said, look, mate, I could put the most expensive locks on. I could put the best security on this house. But if Burger wants to get in, they're going to get in. I was like, oh, right. Well, firstly, why am I paying you so much? But yeah, okay, that's good. But actually, in me just saying, oh, I feel embarrassed to this massive burly locksmith, that I am never going to see again, slightly loosened the grip of the feeling that I had because I'd spoken it out. It wasn't now just sitting inside of me. It was external. Other people could reflect on it. It could put it into a better light. Actually, naming the hurt loosens the grip of feelings. 
Now, in the great scheme of life, one burglary is a very minor event, isn't it? Uh, insurance is a great thing. Nothing will be missed, really. Nobody was hurt. Um, and some people experience life-shattering events, don't they? Just horrifying things that happened. I know people who have been abused by their families or bullied by friends. We know people who have fled the violence of war, literally dodging bullets uh, to get out of countries. Shocking things that have long-term profound impacts. And they've experienced all of the fear and shame of those things. The shame and embarrassment, even though it's nothing to do with them, it's not their fault. But we must name the hurts. We must tell our stories. And the third step on this journey is to grant forgiveness. And Jesus says this, and this is why the disciples are like, please give us faith, this is, how hard is this? Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive Jesus is explaining that forgiveness is a lifelong journey. It's a, a lifelong pursuit. It's about a way of living your life. Now I think here he's explaining the basics of human interaction. Fallen humans bumping up against each other while flawed and sinful and slowly but surely being restored but making mistakes all over the place. Humans let each other down. but we do. You've probably been let down by someone this week. You have probably let someone down this week. And Jesus is saying, look, don't keep a score. Okay? They may come to you seven times. You may think of seven things that they've done to annoy you and they repent every time. Don't keep a score. Uh, Paul, actually, when he writes 1 Corinthians, he writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 this great passage on love. And in that he says, love keeps no records of wrongs. It's a constant path of forgiveness. Actually, as we live that out, it strengthens friendship. It can build trust. Granting forgiveness, granting true forgiveness, actually is a very powerful thing to do. When we grant forgiveness, we actually become slightly less of a victim in those moments. Say, actually, no, I have this power within me to, to forgive you. Now, Jesus here isn't describing an abusive relationship. He isn't describing a, a pattern of disrespect or constant dishonor or hurts and harm. Jesus isn't saying, look, if someone is genuinely nasty and a bully to you constantly, uh, don't kind of forgive them and keep going back. That's not what he's talking about. So someone who is horrible to you and then kind of half-heartedly apologizes, don't say, okay, forgive and forget and carry on. He's not saying that. I remember uh, when I was a kid, I think I was about nine or ten, there was a guy at our school who was in our class. He was one of those kind of low-level bullies. He wasn't particularly violent or anything like that, but he was just an obnoxious bully. And when you look back as an adult, you think, gosh, your home life must have been very difficult. You must have been very insecure, all of those things. But when you're 10, you're like, oh, he's just an idiot. And that's how I remember him. And what he would do is he would win you into his kind of friendship group because he built himself up as the king of the class, bring you into his friendship group. Then he would just start to pick on you and humiliate you and laugh at you. And that his close friends were the people that he was most kind of dominating. And it was very classic schoolyard stuff. And he'd kind of apologise but then just carry on. And I remember even at that age thinking, oh, this guy's bad news. 
I'm just going to keep out of your way. That's what I'm going to do. And you know what? That was absolutely the right thing to do. There wasn't repentance there in him at all. And as we think about forgiveness, one of the big questions is, well, I want to forgive someone, but they aren't repentant. They are not genuinely apologetic. They're not looking to change their life to behave in different ways. Or perhaps you might think, well, they might be repentant, but I don't know them anymore. They're gone from my life, and I don't want to have contact with them. Or perhaps they've died, whatever it might be. (coughs) Or perhaps they think they've done nothing wrong. You know that someone has hurt you in very specific ways, but if you confront them, you know they go, well, you're just misconstruing it. I didn't mean it in that way. You know they'd think that. Well, Jesus, in Mark, he's teaching them to pray. He says, look, when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. He's saying, look, just in your heart, within yourself, forgive. Not even to do with the other person, but within you, forgive. Forgive those who cannot receive our forgiveness. Forgiving those who are repentant. We watched, uh, just before Christmas, this uh, incredible documentary on uh, iPlayer uh, that uh, Connor Crooks, for those of you who know, he made me watch it basically, bullied me until I watch it, uh, called Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland. And uh, it's a lot of people from the troubles uh, of Northern Ireland telling their stories of things that happened to them, even explaining why they behaved in the ways they did. And there were some people on there who did some very extreme things on, on, on both sides of the argument. And there was one gentleman called Richard who was telling his story about how he was blinded as a 10-year-old when he was shot by a a British army soldier. And that was in the, I think in the 70s he was shot, and so he was now talking as a a much older man, and it was obviously utterly changed his life. He'd gone from, from being a normal kid to being completely blind. But as he was older, he decided that he didn't want to live in bitterness. He didn't want his life just to be about this one event. He didn't want to live with that unforgiveness. And so he decided to find the British soldier, which he managed to do. He found the soldier who had shot him, shot him with a rubber bullet, shot him in the face. And he found this man. And it was a very uncomfortable piece of TV to watch. I mean, deeply uncomfortable, because they then interviewed this British soldier and he doesn't really show very much repentance at all. He was like, I was there, I was just following orders. What happened is what happened. And the guy, Richard, as he tells us, he says, look, I had this dream in my head of finding this guy and he would be very upset and he would apologize and then it would all work beautifully. Um, but that's not what happens. Actually, as they shared their stories, it was very painful to watch. But actually, over years, it seems, as it evolves, as those two shared their stories with each other, actually, they, the soldier began to understand the impact of what happened to Richard. And Richard began to understand what it meant to be a soldier then in Northern Ireland, under the pressures that they were under, the impact of the troubles on him. And you saw a thawing in their relationship. The soldier even began to hint at regrets and brokenness within himself. It was a fascinating, very powerful thing to watch. But there is a call there to forgive in our hearts, which I think Richard actually worked very hard to do, to actually live out forgiveness, and ended up bringing a measure of healing to this soldier. 
actually in our hearts the centre of who we are to pray through forgiveness. And then the final step on our journey to forgiveness on this pathway is to renew or release the relationship. And verse 5 and 6 of Luke 17, the apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith. When he has said, look, somebody wrongs against you, even if it's seven times in a day, each time they come and repent, you say, I forgive you. And they're like, God, this is difficult. How would you do that? Please increase our faith. Jesus says that if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, if you've got the tiniest amount of faith, actually, you can still say to this tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. It's quite an odd picture, isn't it? Jesus is saying, look, even a very seemingly impossible thing, like a tree getting its roots up and going and moving somewhere else, actually, that is possible with faith, even an impossible thing. So they've heard this call, the people listening to Jesus, to forgive, to live that lifestyle of forgiveness. And their response is, please help us <laughs> increase our faith. They've got genuinely no idea how we're going to do this, Lord Jesus. That is so difficult. Because in the short term, it's actually much easier to just be annoyed with someone, isn't it? In the short term, it's quite easy just to be angry or to feel that sense of resentment against people, to even hold them at arm's length if they've hurt you, or perhaps even to use it as a, you know what, I'm better than you, I would not have done that, use it to be above them, maybe even to feel more righteous than they are. It's also easier just to sit in the pain and and feel worthless, actually, than to deal with the issue, to, to feel broken by it, to feel like you have no power or control, you are the victim. It's very easy to sit in victimhoods. And actually, in the modern world, to be the victim is almost an an honoured place, isn't it? I am the victim here. I should be uh, treated uh, in a certain way and honoured in a certain way. But actually, to to deal with this properly is a harder road. But the easy road slowly leads us to that root of bitterness, doesn't it? And Jesus calls us to something very different, to forgive that person for what they've done. And it is a step of faith. True forgiveness requires the presence of God in our lives. Read us. For the hurts to be dealt with, for the pain to be dealt with, we need Jesus. Because he takes that hurt. He takes it at the cross. To have that very kind of deep-hearted life change comes from that moment. Even the tiny seed of faith takes you on that journey. And in this, we often find we have a decision to make, whether to renew or to release. Especially if it's uh, something that's happened in a friendship or relationship. Do we forgive and renew or do we forgive and release? Even if we have no contact with someone. Somebody uh, hurt us or in some way numbers of years ago and they are outside of our lives. And even if we wanted to get back in touch with them, we wouldn't be able to do so. We actually still have a relationship with them because of what happens. The hurt is glue in a funny sort of way. You're, you're, you're stuck to that person. Perhaps even if that person never thinks about you, doesn't care about you, you are not in their mind at all, because of the hurt and you think about them, there is a relationship there somehow, isn't there? It glues you to them. And so there is a step of faith, even if it's that tiny mustard seed step, to forgive and then release that person. And perhaps it's only in your heart. 
forgive and release that person. Over the years of kind of leading in church, uh, numbers of people have talked through various different types of hurts, from uh, relatively minor to really quite significant uh, things that have happened. And there have been uh, times where we've talked about how we renew that relationship, how we put it right, and other times where you think, okay, that it needs to be released, we need to help them forgive and release. Sometimes there are relationships where you think they shouldn't go back to it, it's, it's not good. It's harmful, it's dangerous even. But there does need to be a way of forgiving and releasing them as much as is possible. And sometimes we can renew as we forgive. And renewing doesn't mean going back to how things were. If there was a hurt done, renewing doesn't mean we've deleted the hurt and the memory and the thing that happened, because that's not possible, is it? We don't, we don't live with that capacity. But it does mean actually some relationship can be remade. So again, Vicky and I over the years would have had any number of arguments, most of which I lost, I should point out, uh, but we could have had many arguments over the years, and, and each time one of us will apologise or ask uh, or repent in some way and we'll talk over what happened and ask for forgiveness, whatever it might be, and the other one will give forgiveness. <laughs> but we don't go back to how we were because the argument still happened. The, whatever it was still happens. Those words, whatever they were, were still said. But you can renew. You can allow God to humble you, to realise, I actually, I said those things and I am in desperate need of forgiveness from God. And I actually, there are a number of things in life I now need to change and work on, aren't there? Because clearly I'm the sort of person that would say that stuff. So I need to work on those things. I need the Holy Spirit to change me. I need to allow him to work in my life. That's important, isn't it? It's not forgetting what happened, actually. It's allowing God to renew you from what happened. Renew the relationship. In the end, none of this is easy. This is difficult stuff. We aren't meant to just walk it alone. So forgiveness is never just between one person and another person. There is God. Between us, the person, and God is powerfully involved. We aren't meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this as followers and believers in Jesus. In Colossians 1, we'll just finish with this. It says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Forgiveness, true forgiveness, comes from the blood of Jesus, from his blood spilled, from the punishment that he took on himself means that actually because of that we can forgive I don't have to take the punishment on me I don't have to hold on to this unforgiveness I don't need you to be punished because Jesus has been forgiveness comes from his death but also comes from his resurrection he is ultimately the picture of renewal because he came back to life thanks for listening To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, 
please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you. So oh.